Welcome back to the Ideas Podcast and Happy New Year, dear listeners. Once again, I'm Tony and I'm joined by my amazing co-hosts, Sina and Ophelia. What's up? Hey, what's up? So we're unbelievably excited to be able to take the podcast into 2023. And for the sake of New Year's resolutions and for the sake of getting things right, on today's episode, the three of us are going to be taking a look at and discussing some JFKS action items, so ways in which the school can achieve its full potential. What we did was the following. We gathered some audio submissions from students at JFKS, and what we asked them to do is just air some their grievances with the school and make light of possible adjustments to steer our school into the right direction. We went ahead and chose the top three that spoke to us the most, and we're sure they'll speak to you as well. You're going to want to stay tuned after our discussion to hear the rest of these truly insightful submissions. On that note, let's roll the first one. One thing that I think would be good to implement at JFK would be for teachers, also students, but specifically teachers, to ask for students' pronouns on the first day of class and also tell them their own pronouns if they have you know, preferences that might not be obvious. What really stood out to me in the submission was how easy this is actually to implement. Like Thinking about it, asking for pronouns at the, on the first day of school is really not asking much of the teacher. And so it's just a really simple request. And I think it's definitely manageable to get this implemented. On the first day of school, teachers learn your names anyways. And we all know those teachers that can never remember your name. But honestly, it's the same for preferred names and pronouns. If you learn someone's preferred name and their pronouns on day one, it is incredibly easy to remember this, just like any other name that you would remember. And I think it's kind of strange that teachers can't really remember the one name that is actually preferred by the student. I also think that like teachers shouldn't be afraid of this because I think some of them might be a little scared that like misgendering might happen and then like the students are going to be hurt by that. But like honestly, like it's okay. It's okay if you make a mistake and it's okay to slip up as long as the teacher apologizes to the student. You know, we're trying to make an environment where students feel safe and supported. And that was also one of the main things that was said in the submission was that in the end, it all comes down to respect and acceptance. So even if teachers make mistakes, it's they shouldn't be afraid because in the end, they're doing the students a favor. I like what you said there at the end because it's really not about being overly careful or whatever, or trying not to step on the wrong toes. It's really just about affirming and acknowledging people's identities. You yeah. know, it, it's not that deep, really. And people almost preemptively just exacerbate the matter entirely. There's this sort of fear that if they do misgender somebody, then they're going to be in hot water to the end of their days. When in reality, in most instances, when a student is misgendered, and they make the teacher aware of the misgendering. As long as the teacher adjusts their speech and calls the student by the preferred pronoun or calls them by the preferred name, the matter is resolved, and that's it. End of story. As long as the misgendering is not done out of malice and the mistake is corrected, that's as far as it goes, you know? And like Ophelia said, this is something that could be solved day one. Yeah, and I think, like, even amongst, you know, our generation, our grade, whatever, amongst my own friend group and stuff... If a slip up happens or something, what makes the friend group and makes the community and all of that a safe space is that mistakes are obviously accepted. Mistakes are fine as long as and this is, you know, what you were both saying, what everyone is trying to say is that the only important thing is, is that you learn from these mistakes and is that you acknowledge that 
although it's okay, it was, of course, a slip up and it shouldn't necessarily happen again. And I think that this mutual respect should exist between students and teachers because I haven't seen a single student going around misgendering or misnaming a teacher. And so it doesn't make sense for teachers to be doing that to their own students. Our next submission is on another controversial topic, dress codes. At our school, a loose dress code currently exists that enables teachers and faculty members to judge and comment on what clothing is or isn't appropriate on campus. A key issue with this is that there are no specific guidelines as to what is deemed appropriate by the school. Rather, it's up to individual staff members to decide this. This means that, due to this issue's subjective nature, Different students wearing the exact same clothes may be judged completely differently by various teachers, leading to an inequality in their freedom of expression. Rarely would any student dress in a way that could somehow impair or distract from instruction, and as long as it doesn't involve hate speech, there is really no way how anybody could be seriously offended or hurt just by letting students wear what they want. As a result, I believe JFKS should not let teachers comment on the appropriateness of students' outfits. A lot of teachers do this, and honestly, never once have I seen a good reason for it. I just think that it was never really an appropriate time to dress code somebody. I do have to say, though, and I know that we've already talked about this in the pronouns thing, and I don't want to bash German teachers too hard because, of course, that's a big generalization and not every German teacher is the same, just like not every American teacher is the same. We all know that. But I do think that from my experience, German teachers and honestly, Germans in general, um, you know, obviously living in Germany, I do see a lot of those. They are a lot more conservative when it comes to fashion. And I don't just mean that it's only the German teachers dress coding students. That's not, honestly, that's not true. Like I know for a fact that it isn't, but I do think that generally when it comes to what's correct to wear in what occasion germans have a much stricter code for that yeah and coming back to what i said earlier about how it has nothing really to do with what's on the clothes or like what the clothes are and everything to do with how it sits on the student's body i i can't help but think like so much for body positivity it's ironic because that's also something that we like are pressing right now is body positivity this that i mean like in feminist initiative that was one of the main themes of this year and i just like if we're gonna strive for a more inclusive environment at jfk and say yeah we want to fight for body positivity then we can't have a dress code that goes against every principle that body positivity stands for i genuinely am like so frustrated about this at our school aside from all the I guess, sort of obvious criticisms that we have about students being dress coded. I also just think that it's incredibly frustrating that teachers even think that it's okay to dress code students when our school doesn't have a dress code, at least not any written thing. So I think that it's not really okay for a teacher to think that their own opinion on your outfit is enough to get you in trouble, if you know what I mean. So I think that's just another added facet of why this is so annoying. So we all raised some great points, and at this stage, I'd just like to ask the audience what you guys think and, you know, give it some thought. Where do we draw the line on dress codes? You know, what is appropriate, what isn't, and who gets to set those standards? Next up, we have a really great submission critiquing the history curriculum, and this is something that's been of 
quite a lot of importance to students of color like myself, and I think the submission explains it quite well. Here goes. So at our school, I think many students can agree, the curriculum has always been Eurocentric. We only really learned about Western countries, you know, Britain, France, Germany, the US, leaving kind of these non-Western countries to only be mentioned when they interact with Western countries. So usually when their populations are colonized or enslaved. And having this view on non-Western countries results kind of in this unconscious bias, I think, of Western superiority and white supremacy. And this is where really where the issue lies. And I think it just is disregarding a whole demographic of cultures and students. And, you know, picking and choosing what to share in history about these non-Western countries compared to the Western countries is kind of just telling one side to the story and resulting in a lack of inclusivity in the student's global view of history and kind of feeding into the white supremacy that stems from this. And from a moral standpoint, this is really important, but also, you know, as time passes, students are becoming more diverse. The world is also becoming more globally interdependent. So all students even just require a basic understanding, at least a basic understanding of other cultures and regions. So what would a more diverse history curriculum even look like? So firstly, I think just going beyond the history of a white man, studying the history of Africa, Asia, Latin America uh, in their own terms as well. And I think using sources from these regions is also extremely important to kind of get away from always this Western perspective that it's being taught in and kind of making it more mandatory to critically analyze colonialism and slavery in US history. And lastly, I think the curriculum should definitely strive for empowerment of students of all diverse backgrounds so everyone can be accurately represented in history and we can have a wider range of voices, you know, resulting in empowerment for all students. What I thought was really interesting was that we're like headed on a more globally like interdependent, we're on like that kind of path already. We're like very globally yeah. interdependent and that students just, requ they need to require that basic understanding if, if we're down that path already, you know, like that should just mm -hmm. be required. And it's like honestly kind of embarrassing, like how little we know about it's the really rest of the world. Yeah, It's like, this is the pl one planet we live on. Like, why don't we make an effort to... <laughs> You know, and also I feel like whenever it's like, oh, we're gonna go really exotic now. It's like not even a whole semester. It's just like this one, um, whatever unit on everything outside of Europe. <laughs> it's just like yeah. two weeks of being like, okay, so this happened in China this one time. Okay, let's move on to Africa now because we've covered Asia right now. It's like what? <laughs> Notice how that's also only like when it's involved with a Western country. Like, we're not yeah. bringing those up just because we want to. And, like, if we ever talk about Africa or, like, black people, it's like, yeah, slaves. Slavery, guys. Right. That's enough for the rest of the year. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, like, we can also ask ourselves, like, what would that more diverse curriculum look like? Mm -hmm. And that would be having to actually make an effort to have sources from these regions and then getting away from Western perspectives and yeah. Western authors who write about other countries. Do you think, though, because these curriculums are like mostly designated by the Zanat and like we're meant to only learn about like Eurocentric stuff. 
Sure, but I also think that the world is really globally interdependent and it's kind of like we're on a path where you just need to require basic knowledge about other countries. So, I mean, even if, you know, like, does it not or has the overall say for this, they should, like, for their own benefit as well and for the benefit of the future of this world, require basic knowledge for other countries in the world. I mean, like, come on. But then how do we fit our teachers into it? So, like, should our teachers circumvent the curriculum to teach us these things? And how do we gauge, like, what they teach us? Because like we said, the one times we go to these other places, it's like, okay, boom, China, that's all of Asia. Boom, done. Yeah, Some exactly. random African nation, boom, that's all of Africa, done. Like, how much of these other countries should we be studying? Well, I mean, I think we follow a timeline in um, history class anyways. And that we can just do important events in other countries that fall in the timeline of our history curriculum anyways i'm not that well-rounded on the history curriculum but i think it's possible to manage to fit other countries kind of like important events in the timeline that we follow yeah i also think that obviously being a german american school i understand why there's a tendency to lean into the eurocentric and also you know like usa centric history and politics but that obviously still doesn't excuse it i think especially for a school like ours even though we're technically german american we do try to be as international and as inclusive as possible i think especially our school should be focusing on a lot more than just the usa and germany and possibly some French and Spanish history, you know, because I, I think that just like, I think I also said this, and Tony, you definitely also talked about this. It's just incredibly weird that our entire curriculum is based around Europe and the USA. And then one small part is like, we'll cover all of Africa in a week. And it's just not realistic. And I obviously get that you can't cover the entire world history, but there are ways to be a little bit more international when it comes to the curriculum since there's definitely like a demand for more international history how do you think we should go about achieving these changes in the curriculum because i mean we talked about the zanat and like how it's definitely i'd say built into the system that we only learn about europe predominantly and also the u.s i think you know upholding eurocentrism and white supremacy is kind of the status quo but within our school how do you guys think we should go about this petitions or just asking teachers going up to them like what do you guys think is the move i think this is going to be a little bit more difficult than the other submissions we had just talked about because it's in our curriculum and and you know like that's going to be difficult to change but that doesn't mean it's impossible so as you said i would maybe think about starting petitions that we could go around and have students sign who are in support of the idea and would like to see it be implemented you know, we're just going to really have to make an effort for this specifically. Clearly, our school has a lot of issues. And of course, we all know that. But especially considering the submissions that we got and the things that we've talked about, also the things that we've probably all talked about, you know, just within our friend groups. I'm really glad that places like the Ideas Club, for example, exist because I think that this is a place where we can feel safe to speak freely about these issues without being scared of facing any sort of criticism and without being, you know, scared of rejection. Because I think that even though, of course, we do try and have really cool discussions supporting all views, we are all sort of on the same page here at the Ideas Club. So that's always nice to have. 
I agree with you fully. And now that you've heard us ramble and air our thoughts over those three submissions, I'd say there's no better time than now to roll the rest of them. So please enjoy these student submissions. Island is an old and outdated practice that shouldn't continue in schools today. When a teacher goes up to the board and starts writing down the grades, you get a feeling of anxiety completely unique to the experience. You're sweating and your mind is racing, especially if there are some fours or fives in the Vertilung. Even though you know you're doing well in the class, and you know who got said fours and fives, you can't help but wonder and worry if you failed. This continues until you receive your test, at which point your suspicions are denied, you, did, you got a two, you did fine. But you still have a leftover feeling of, was all this suspense necessary? Noten Fatailung also reveals that some students might consistently be failing, which is personal information that those students might not want shared. If the student decides to share their grades, fine. But if people see that someone's consistently getting fives and ask around the class, then that might qualify as an invasion of privacy. Same goes for someone who's doing significantly better than the rest of the class. If, for one quiz, the average grade was a 4 and a particular student got a 1, said introvert might not want to be singled out, but because the entire class knows that someone did well, people will ask around and find out. JFK, I think it is very important for there to be a discussion raised around learning disabilities and to educate the teachers on the different kinds of learning disabilities and to allow teachers to cater to the different needs um, of the students in a classroom. I think that teachers can do this by being more open to IEPs, which are individual education plans that students get when they have the privilege to get diagnosed with a learning disability. They are given an IEP and with this they can create education plans to help and cater to their different kinds of learning styles. And I think ideally every student in a classroom would be getting the same information and having the same understanding about it and it wouldn't be asking too much of the teachers or too much of the students. And I think that as much as we would appreciate for this, it's very difficult to achieve in that as someone who was just in America and now is at JFK, I can say that JFK is doing pretty well in comparison to American schools with, I guess, raising conversations around these kinds of learning needs that students might have and being open or having teachers that are wanting to hear about it, to have systems where two-thirds or a big proportion of your grade is participation to cater to those who are able to think more um, and understand more audibly and to speak it. but. Um, I think that something teachers kind of have a misconception about is that students are taking advantage of a system when they have IEPs and that for students who have learning disabilities, it's difficult for them to take advantage of a system that they are already at a disadvantage for. And yes, there will be, I guess, some students always to take an account for that will try and find loopholes to take advantage of the system being implemented, but 
I think that generally being aware and raising a conversation can help dramatically in that as students to advocate for yourself to create plans and to understand that teachers have the power and for teachers to listen. It, it's a key to success and it can help a lot of students with learning plans and being able to contribute to the future. I think the term mother tongue is incredibly outdated. It just probably from the medieval ages, this term in general comes because back then, well, women were usually the people that cared for the children and it's just incredibly problematic to still have that thing as you have people who only have a father or where the child is adopted in a gay marriage and it's a term that is outdated and and it would be better to find a term like the main language or something like that yeah thank you One action that I do believe would be very important um, to make our school more inclusive and empathetic, and I also think this would be a pretty easy thing to do, is include um, more trigger warnings in classes. So I think a lot of the times there are quite a lot of assumptions about what people in a certain grade have to be able to handle, where the teachers and the classmates don't know all the history of this person and just everyone has different limits of what specific things might scare you, uh, what things are too much and what things you just can't handle. And um, I think uh, we need to be more empathetic with that and just like normalize this debate. Generally, there are two categories of like trigger warnings that uh, we should introduce. The first is uh, for historical content. Uh, like we talk about like slavery and Holocaust a lot, which is also very important. But I think we need to recognize more that this is something that may be extremely distressing for some people. Now, in case of these topics, they're very important and we need to learn about that. And um, to a certain extent, you just need to, even if it's hard, confront yourself with these topics. But teachers um, and also students in the class should be more aware of that. For some, it may be more distressing than others. And just like prepare the students for this. The other, ca other category is, um, quote, like non-essential stuff that we do for class. Like, of course, there's still a reason why we do it. But it's not like we need to learn about this aspect of history. It might be watching a film about a book that we read in class and this film might have like some scenes of violence or some other things that for some people may be completely normal for others may be more distressing uh the same goes like for book presentations um because we everyone reads like different and has different comfort levels with like thriller books or something and i think there uh like one people should be more aware of like what's showing and like going to be showed and uh, prepare the students for it and this doesn't have to be long just a short thing and it should just be normalized that if it's too much you can also go out like of course this shouldn't be abused by people who just want to like leave class but like I think it will be relatively clear once when someone really just can't handle a certain content and I think there 
it should be more normalized that you don't have to like start crying in class that the teachers realize okay maybe we should let this person go out into the hallway until this presentation is done because it doesn't necessarily it doesn't have to be stopped for everyone we just need to make sure that the people who don't feel comfortable with it can leave and also feel comfortable leaving like it's not like the teacher they they have the feeling the teacher will think badly about them their uh, classmates will think badly about them etc so one thing i think jfk could do to become a more open and accepting school is to commemorate and celebrate non-christian holidays our western society is a very christianity based society and so a lot of our holidays are christian holidays and most of the time people kind of know the general background of these christian holidays at least of some of the most important ones like i don't know christmas or easter and we all kind of celebrate them in more or less the same way but generally people don't really know a lot about any non-christian holidays or any of the traditions that kind of come along with them and i think this is something jfk could relatively easily change by just educating people on these non-christian holidays so for example we could take one or two of the years of mandatory religion class in elementary school and use them to teach students about some other religions they might not have as much exposure to or might not know as much about and just kind of teach them the fundamental beliefs of this religion some of the most important celebrations and traditions etc and that way just yeah give them some basic knowledge on some other religions they might have not known as much about another thing we could do is have announcements on some important religious holidays like i don't know Ramadan or Yom Kippur and kind of just make people more aware that these holidays are happening and give everyone an explanation of why they're celebrated and how they're celebrated and why they're so important to the religion and yeah that way also just kind of give everyone a quick overview of the meaning of that religious holiday So in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic, we have seen at our school like at many other schools an uptick in behavioral issues, you know, be that bathroom vandalization or students often being physically aggressive to other students. This is a concrete problem, a problem that our community has recognized and that I think we've all felt and experienced as students or as parents, teachers, administrators, what have you. But I think on top of these behavioral issues and some of the more uh, serious things we have seen, both one-off events like, uh, say, the pulling of a fire alarm last year that caused the school to be evacuated, or some issues we have had with drug use at JFKS, what we need to understand here is that these are symptoms. These are symptoms of the invisible epidemic that we have going on, an epidemic that formed side-by-side with the COVID-19 epidemic, namely an epidemic of mental health. We are in what I view as a mental health crisis right now, where students, for many different reasons, are feeling crushed, they are feeling hopeless, they are suffering 
and are unwell, not physically, but mentally. And until we recognize this as the root cause of these problems, that drug use or behavioral issues or aggression or falling grades, what have you, are not problems unto themselves. They are symptoms of a larger issue and a larger culture that we have, a culture that I think we can transform as it's a culture that really isn't in line with our school mission. I, I'm very hopeful that we can get to a point where we make the tough choices and say, sometimes we're going to have to put mental health above academics. We're going to have to say that our grade point average as a school might go down. We might have less homework. We might not be able to educate in the same way we have been educating in the interest of protecting the well-being of our students because that should be our number one priority as a school. And so I think there are concrete steps we can take, but the biggest thing is that we all come together and as a community recognize that this is the, if not one of the greatest challenges facing us and that we need to be united in our response against it and need to be willing to make some hard choices. And there are concrete things we can do. But the first step is to look at this, to acknowledge this, to start to reduce the stigma and recognize this as a problem that impacts so many people and that it is our duty to address. Thanks to all the students for the submissions. Thank you for listening to the podcast and we'll catch you all in the next one.